It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, October 30th, 2020. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitka recorded another two positive coronavirus cases this week. Health officials report that a female aged 20 to 29 tested positive on Wednesday while experiencing symptoms of the virus. Contact tracing for the woman is currently in progress. Superintendent John Holst confirms that the latest patient is a staff member at Pacific High School. As of Thursday morning, the building was closed for deep cleaning. Students were already scheduled to be out of the building on Friday for a staff in-service. Holst says he'll wait to hear from public health officials about whether Pacific High reopens on Monday or whether additional people there will need to be tested. The case is the fourth positive case in the district and the first at Pacific High. Holst said that a fifth case within the schools had just been confirmed as of Thursday afternoon and had not yet been included in the daily count maintained by the Sitka Unified Command. The patient is also an adult staff member who is not associated with any specific building in the district. The cases pushed Sitka's total case count to 78. All but four of them are considered recovered. Statewide, the COVID-19 infection rate continues to rise. Six deaths were reported Thursday and 355 new cases. One of the fatalities was a woman in her 70s on Prince of Wales Island. Two were Anchorage men in their 70s, a Fairbanks woman in her 80s, and an Anchorage man in his 40s. Statewide, 77 Alaskans have died since the onset of the pandemic in March. Likewise, in recent days, the United States has seen some of the highest daily rates of infection since the beginning of the pandemic, higher even than the peak daily infection rates of last spring. Wednesday's announcement that the Trump administration will lift protections against development in the Tongass National Forest has sparked strong reactions for and against the changes. For many Southeast Alaskans who rely on the Tongass for food, the news is personal. For KCAW and Alaska Energy Desk, Aaron McKinstry reports. It's a rare sunny afternoon in the Tongass, and Chuck Miller is showing me a spot near the water where his grandmother would often take him. We used to pick the salmon berries here and... They call him and clink it on enough tape. Miller eats many of the same foods as his ancestors. He hunts seal, collects seaweed, and fishes for salmon. I like to use the word clinket soul food. Makes you feel good on the inside. He says he's not political, and he doesn't know all the ins and outs of what a full exemption of the roadless role means for the Tongass National Forest, which is bigger in land area than the entire state of West Virginia. But anything that could threaten his subsistence way of life makes him nervous. If they allowed roads into certain areas where um, it affects our harvesting, I'm not a big fan of that. You're going to get more population, more pollution, and, and then sometimes things might get over-harvested, you know. And he's not alone. At a U.S. Forest Service hearing in Sitka last fall, commenters advocated unanimously to keep protections for the Tongass in place. Subsistence users and environmentalists worry that opening more than 9 million acres of the Tongass to potential development for logging or mining could disrupt vital habitat for the species many depend on, like Sitka black-tailed deer and salmon. Eric Jordan is a Sitka-based commercial fisherman, but he feeds his family salmon, too. He recalls what clear-cut logging did to salmon streams and wildlife habitat in the last century. The people that live here now understand how damaging this was to our ecology, and they do not want it reintroduced. The immediate return of industrial-scale timber operations to Southeast isn't likely, mostly for economic reasons. But that doesn't ease Don Hernandez's worries. 
He lives in Point Baker on Prince of Wales Island, and like many of his neighbors, a significant portion of what he eats is hunted, fished, or gathered. Ten years down the line, depending on what may pressures may come from industry, that uh, once the long-term protections are eliminated, we could see a push to have more, you know, large-scale clear-cutting on the Tongass again. He chairs the Southeast Alaska Regional Subsistence Advisory Council, which advises the federal board on important hunting and trapping decisions on federal lands. The Forest Service's final environmental impact statement states that the full exemption of the roadless rule in the Tongass will have, quote, minimal adverse and beneficial effects on subsistence users. It posits that increasing road access could open up hunting and fishing areas to those who don't have boats and spread subsistence use over a larger area, rather than concentrating it in more accessible places. But Hernandez says he isn't convinced that's true. When you spend the amount of money that it takes to build road in southeast Alaska, you have to extract a lot of timber to justify building those roads. So it's not just a small impact. And yes, it does provide access for subsistence users and people use the roads. But over time, all the negative impacts from the road building and clear-cut logging, it takes a toll. For people who live in and around the nation's largest temperate rainforest, it's all about the long view. Take Alicia Witherspoon. She, her husband, and her two kids live in Sitka and rely on hunting and fishing for a good portion of their household needs. She says they're nervous about what the decision to roll back protections for the Tongass will mean, especially after the lion's share of Alaskans implored the federal government to keep the roadless rule in place. It's kind of alarming that no matter what research has been provided and all the comments of all the people who live here, that they would try to do the exact opposite. Wednesday's decision to overturn Clinton area protections for 55 percent of the Tongass could be challenged in court. Congress could also get involved, or a future administration could start the years-long process of reinstating the roadless rule in southeast Alaska. For Alaska's Energy Desk, I'm Erin McKinstry in Sitka. As Alaska experiences a new wave of the coronavirus, contact tracers are working around the clock to track exposures from every case. But what if there was a faster way to predict when a wave was about to happen before the positive COVID-19 cases started rolling in? Researchers at the University of Alaska are partnering with communities around the state to figure out if we can make haste by testing waste. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. That's the sound of Sitka's wastewater flowing into the treatment plant on Japonski Island. And while it may not sound all that pretty, what we wash down the drain can provide some clues to how Sitka is faring amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Sitka's environmental superintendent, Shiloh Williams, says that once a week, a machine pulls a liter of water from the wastewater stream. We collect it in a sample container and we put it in a cooler and we ship it up to the lab. That cooler is sent to Dr. Brandon Briggs' office. He's an associate professor who runs a research lab at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. So what we're trying to do is uh, find just particles, viral particles that are within the wastewater. Um, So when somebody's been infected, uh, we found that some of that virus is actually shed into uh, the wastewater. And uh, so we can actually go through and start trying to detect that. 
His team is partnering with Dr. Eric Borst, a virologist who has studied coronaviruses for over a decade. Briggs says that in May, the lab began collecting wastewater data from communities around the state, first focusing on Anchorage and Fairbanks. And what they found in the wastewater lined up with the number of cases being reported by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. When there were lulls on the state's coronavirus dashboard, Briggs' team saw the amount of viral particles in the wastewater taper off too. And when they saw spikes? We were actually able to track that within uh, the wastewater. So the amount that was being tested through clinical testing, um, we were able to track that quite well with uh, in the wastewater. Briggs hopes they can use the information to help communities predict and prepare for new COVID-19 waves before the hospitals start seeing rising case counts. We should be able to see the um, virus within the wastewater um, a couple days before uh, usually somebody goes and gets uh, clinically tested for it. But the test does have its limits. Briggs says how much of the virus a person sheds tends to change throughout the course of an infection. And one recent study showed some people may not shed the virus into wastewater at all. And there's a threshold. There have to be a certain number of cases in a community before Briggs' team will be able to detect the virus in their samples. So everybody's kind of depositing into um, the sewer system to be able to detect that it can't be diluted that much. If it's diluted more than 100 bioparticles per liter, um, then we won't be able to detect that. Uh, so, yeah, with uh, the two or three uh, cases I've, uh, we saw from uh, Sitka, uh, that seems to be below our detection limit. So far in Sitka, they haven't seen any traces of the virus in the wastewater. Shiloh Williams says two test results have come back so far. That checks out. While the rest of the state's coronavirus infection rates have soared, Sitka's rates have been low this October. Um, there are labs across the country that are analyzing COVID in wastewater, so it's great that we're able to keep it in state and have a good working relationship with the folks at UAA. And I think it's great that we can help researchers learn more about the virus by, by doing this study. Williams says they'll continue testing for COVID-19 at Sitka's wastewater treatment plant through the end of the year. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. You can now find weekly wastewater test results on the city's COVID-19 dashboard. You can find a link to that resource on our website, kcaw.org. Taking a look at the community calendar. Today, Friday, October 30th, is a teacher work day, so there is no school for students within the Sitka School District. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is